what I think God is trying to do more often than not in our Bibles is to say, yes, I am omnipresent in the sense that I am everywhere present. But the push, the impetus of what he's doing in scripture is to say, not only am I that, but I am drawing near to you relationally. I'm drawing near to you to be, in a, in a biblical word, to be in covenant with you. So that there is more than just, this is who I am out there or, or all around, if you're thinking in omnipresent terms, but I'm here with you. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Ryan Lister. Ryan is a professor of theology at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. He also serves as an associate pastor at Trinity Church of Portland, is the co-creator of the Canvas Conference, and is the author of The Presence of God, its place in the storyline of Scripture and the story of our lives from Crossway. Today, Ryan and I discuss what it means when the Bible says that God is with us. He unpacks the idea of the presence of God throughout Scripture, addresses common misconceptions about what that phrase really means, and highlights how Jesus, God in the flesh, stands as the ultimate example of God drawing near to his people. Let's get started. Ryan, thank you for joining us on the CrossFit Podcast. Yeah, it's great being here. So the presence of God, it's a... it's a topic that, on the one hand, feels as familiar as your pillow. You know, we, we, we hear that phrase or some version of it, the presence of God, uh, bandied about all the time, whether it's in music or in books or in our prayers. Uh, we, we talk about the presence of God as evangelical Christians all the time. And yet, I think if uh, we were we were to be pressed to explain what is the presence of God, we would, we would probably have a hard time with that. It's, we're, we're actually unsure what that even means a lot of the time, I think. So what do you think that means? What is the presence of God? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've been convicted of that myself. Uh, that was where this whole project, this whole idea came from, is actually being someone who was saying presence of God a lot, but never actually thinking about what it means. It just sort of became sort of evangelical white noise. And, and I began to see, wait, you know, this is, this is a really important idea. Uh, it's central to what our Bibles are telling us about God and ourselves. So to summarize it very, very quickly, I, I would say that the presence of God is getting at uh, two major things. Uh, the first is the idea that the presence of God is where this whole story is going. So it's eschatological. It's... What does that mean? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great question. Teleological may be a better word, but even that's a harder... <laughs> that's another <laughs> word you gotta, gotta, gotta lay out. It's goal-oriented. It's purpose. It's a, the objective hmm. uh, of, of this redemptive storyline that, that God has given us and God has put us in. So, so really all it means is that there, there's a goal. So, so the presence of God is where our story's going. And you see that uh, at, at, the, at the beginning and end of your Bible. So it, so it begins in a garden filled with his presence and it ends in a garden city filled with his presence. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's teleological, it's objective, it's goal-driven. Uh, simultaneously, it's also the means or the instrument by which that goal is accomplished. 
So, so it, it's, it's, there, there's a relational and a redemptive aspect to it. So, so he, is, he is drawing near to, to, to be with us. And especially after the fall, he is drawing near to redeem us so that we can be with him. Hmm. So we can be with him forever, eschatologically, eternally. So, so those are sort of the categories. It, it's, a, it's a manifest presence uh, and it's mediated. So, so there, is, there is distinction and you want to hold that distinction between the creator uh, and the creature as well as the redeemer and the redeemed. Hmm. So, so there's, and that's, that's why there's, there's so much, I mean, there's mystery wrapped around it. He's telling us all about it at the same time. We can't grasp it in full because what we're talking about at that particular point is we're talking about a God who is transcendent, who is other than distinct from us. And, and that's a wonderful and a, and a glorious thing. Yeah. Uh, but also one who is drawn near, who's come near to us. And, and so that, that's, that's a mysterious thing that we have to de- dive into our Bibles to understand. He's got to tell us how that works. Yeah. And so it pushes us back to him to be the one who demonstrates what this presence of God is. Yeah, I want to return to that, that, that tension between God's uh, closeness to us, his nearness to us, and his transcendence. Um, but maybe taking a step back even a little bit, maybe there's someone listening who, who's kind of just thinking, well, wait a minute, hold on, the presence of God, I get that. I always thought that was just the fact that God is everywhere, yeah. right? God is omnipresent. Mm-hmm. You might have learned that term in Bible college or Sunday school, um, so how does that fit in the fact that God is, is everywhere around us, he's always with us, fit into this biblical idea of the presence of God that you've just kind of sketched out that feels in some ways a little bit more specific than, than you know, what we often think about? Yeah, so, so most of us are going to, that's going to be our default position if we're thinking in, in larger theological categories, uh, especially if we have some sort of background in systematic theology when we're walking through all those omni categories of who God is, mm. you know, your omnipotence and, and, and in this case, omnipresence. And that's very, very true. It, it, it's, a, it's a true reality. I, what, what this concept is saying or, 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 or what I, I think God is trying to do more often than not in our Bibles is to say, yes, I am omnipresent in the sense that I am everywhere present but the push the 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 impetus of what he's doing in scripture is to say yes i'm that but i'm i'm much much more i I, i've not only am i that but i am drawing near to you relationally i'm drawing near to you to be uh in a a biblical word to be in covenant with you Hmm. so that there is uh there, there's more than just this is who I am out there or, or all around, if you're thinking yeah. of omnipresent terms, but I'm here with you. So you see a lot of times it's connected to, you know, Psalm, Psalm 139 is pushing the idea of God's uh, om, omnipresence. Where shall I go? Where, where shall I flee from your presence? Your presence is everywhere. That, that's, that's where that, those ideas are coming from. But even if you read that whole Psalm, that whole psalm is driving you back to the fact that he knows you. He knows you relationally. 
uh, he knows the words before they're formed on your on your tongue. So, so he's really, really pushing uh, a connection there. The psalmist is pushing the connection there to show you that yes, he is this in this sort of omnipresent realm. That, that's very, very true. But that's also connected to the purpose to, to, to be with his people. And so you have this refrain throughout scripture uh, pushing that concept of he has a people, there's a people, there's a people. Uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. Mm. That, that's a glorious, glorious phrase because what it's saying is that transcendent, omnipresent God who is totally other than us has decided in his transcendence to be with us, to, to, to make us his people. And, and the only way that happens is if a, the transcendent God does it for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think when we often speak of omnipresence as like a systematic category, uh, an attribute of God, it does seem to primarily carry like a spatial type of dimension. Like literally in this room, I know God is here and I know God is in the next room over as well and he's on the other side of the world. But you're kind of saying that in terms of the Bible and how the Bible speaks of this theme of the presence of God, it carries with it it's more than just a spatial type of reality. It actually speaks to the relationship that God desires to have with us as his people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that gets to sort of that second point uh, of this, the whole, I think, the sort of the biblical framework for the way God talks about his presence. Uh, you know, it, it's got the objective, but that, that agency, that mean, that instrument, how does he... So what you see, I mean, the, the, when... So, sort of when revelation sort of rises up in our Bible, when we see God doing things, he's entering into his own story. So you've got these great manifest expressions uh, of God in many ways coming down, for lack of a better term. Mm. So the whole, uh, I mean, from, from, from the garden, I mean, Genesis 4, he's there with Cain and Abel. There's, there's a relationship. And I, and I think that's, I think we, we, we go quickly past that, but that's one of the most beautiful expressions of this mm. because you just coming out of the fall, yeah. which has, and one of, one of the results of the fall, one of the consequences is you are exiled from, from Eden. You are exiled from God's presence. And yet here is God dealing with sinners. He's dealing with Cain and Abel. He's dealing with those who are uh, outside of that initial sort of covenant presence, if you will. Hmm. And, and he's, he's working, he's in the story, and it just keeps going from there. And, and you have, again, there's, there's, there's presence and there's mystery. So in the Exodus, right? I mean, you, you have God who is using Moses as a mediator to bring people out of Egypt to, to a promised land. So there's a people that he's created and he's creating uh, for a place that he's going to give them so that he can be present with them. And the way that it's, it's accomplished is he, he draws near. So you have, you know, cloud and fire. Those are the images that you're given. Yeah. And those are the perfect images because you can see them, but you can't grasp them. You can't touch them. There's, there's distinction and yet there's, there's separation yeah there's yeah yeah yeah, that's exactly right so there's manifestation of some kind but it's not within our control it makes me think one of the most 
fascinating and I think at times even um, a little bit confusing concepts in my mind uh, related to the Exodus and the wilderness wandering and even even uh, Jerusalem and the temple once they were established uh, in the Holy Lands was this idea of the Holy of Holies. You know, this physical space where God in some sense dwelt more um, profoundly or more um, physically almost um, a, a place where people could not enter. It was dangerous for humans to be in except for one person once a year. Um, what do you think the Holy of Holies uh, whether in the tabernacle or in the temple, teaches us about God's presence? I think in many ways it's pushing us to, to say this is on his terms. This is not something that, one, we conjured up, that we thought, you know, this would be a great thing for our religion. Uh, <laughs> th- this, is, this comes from God. It's directed by God. It's, de- it's, it's ordained by him. It's controlled by him. It's commanded by him. And this is what is at the center of your life. And what the Holy of Holies is doing is, yes, it's saying that, uh, it's saying that I'm, I'm in control, but it's also saying I'm, I'm covenantally near. I'm, I'm with you. So it's, I'm going to do this on my own terms. And I think ultimately it's pointing us forward to, to Jesus uh, and, and, uh, and, and his coming to tabernacle with us, coming out of John 1. So, so it's, it's pushing us forward. And, and I think in many ways, uh, I'm, I'm teasing this out right here <laughs> as we talk, but I, I think you know, that, that same idea is taking place in the Gospels pretty consistently. Uh, you have God defining uh, who Emmanuel is, who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he is, uh, what he's coming to be present for. So you have all these people who are sitting there, have their conceptions of who the Messiah will be and what he will accomplish. But Jesus comes on the scene and sort of undermines them all. Mm. He says, no, salvation is from the Lord and salvation is from the Lord drawing near to you. And it's going to be done in a way that it is beyond your own conceptions. So you have that, you know, that, that weird refrain in your Bibles where Jesus is constantly telling no one, like, don't tell anybody who I am. Yeah. I, I think that's... Yeah, what's behind that? I, I think what, what, what's taking place is that it, 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 it's, it's holding things back, keeping the crowds at bay as far as it can to, to allow him to have the cross and the empty tomb be the lenses through which we now understand who this Emmanuel is. He has come to be king, but he comes first to be a suffering servant king. And, and, and so we, we don't have a conception of God doing that, coming to accomplish that. And so you've got this, this mind-boggling reality that God is in the flesh and God is in the flesh to be a ransom for us, to die on in our place. And so that, that's what that, I think that messianic secret as they call it, that, you know, don't, don't tell, don't tell anybody. It's, it's, it's allowing Jesus to have time and space to, to accomplish exactly what that 
part of redemption is mm. that that first coming mm. is to accomplish. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I've I've talked with congregants about this, so people in the church, and they, they talk about uh, we don't the messianic secret, and they say we don't understand that. Uh, you, you you've probably felt it yourself. You, know, you look at the disciples, and you're like, why aren't these guys? Why are they so dense? Why don't they get that? Yeah. Well, it's because we're on this side of the cross. We're reading everything through the lens of the empty tomb where, where, they're, where they're, they're working. They don't have that yet. And I think that ties us back to, to holy of holy ideas. There, there is mystery. That God has to define what Israel's to be. God is defining them as a people. He's setting them apart so that they can take that out into the rest of the world. And mm. I think that's what's happening uh, in Jesus himself, the Holy of Holies is here and he's defining what that looks like. Mm. He's defining what uh, what it means to be the servant king first before the warrior king, conquering king uh, in his second coming. So, Yeah, and it's interesting too when you, when you, you speak of Jesus as this, this uh, Holy of Holies, as the presence of God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and yet he does feel so much more, he was, more accessible than the Holy of Holies was. And we see at his death that the, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is torn in two. Yet speak to that, that there is this sense in Jesus that God's presence is now more accessible to us than ever before. Yeah, yeah. So in, in Jesus, you have God's presence literally manifest before you. It's incarnated. So there's time and space in, in uh, with Jesus, so, so whereas you have a God who's outside of time and space or, or beyond, now you have a God in time and space, and and so that that's a that's a massive thing that we weren't ready for, uh, a development that a lot of people weren't looking for with regard to. It's hard to even wrap your mind around that God exists outside of time and space. He created time and space. Right. He he is truly fully other that's right and yet somehow he actually entered in and became a part of the, his creation that's right and i think in many ways we just and this goes back to where this whole conversation began we this becomes part of that that white noise we we talk about it we become so familiar with it we we don't ponder it and allow it to be places where we worship him the the other reality is too is when we we have these these hints that so, for for example, the transfiguration, uh, you 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 have Jesus demonstrating that yes, he is incarnated, but there's something else going on that is beyond us. So, when the transfiguration happens, the response is, Let, "Let's worship. Let's build. Let's build you tabernacles. Basically, mm. let's let's stop here and worship you." Is that is that intentional? Do you think? Is there a, intentionally in that passage a a hearkening back and alluding to the idea of like uh, God is with us right now and let's let's camp out right here with him. Yeah, I think so. I think it's pointing us back uh, and, and pulling us forward, saying what that was, uh, what that the 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 institutions of, of the tabernacle and the temple were doing is pushing our eyes forward, mm. uh, and it's fulfilled here. Mm. This is this is taking place. There's something yeah beautiful uh, about the progressiveness of what God has done in this revelation to us mm. and for us. So what do you think would be a common uh, misunderstanding or maybe something that you think most Christians listening right now would be surprised to learn about 
the way that the Bible speaks about the presence of God? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I'm, I was blown away, uh, I mean, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I was blown away by the fact that this is this, the relational categories. And here's, here's what oftentimes happens. We, especially, especially today, we want to have a relationship with God. Uh, we tend to be the ones who want to define that relationship. And what scripture does is says, God is here to relate to you. It's done on his own terms. And that's exactly what we need. We, we don't need to be the ones who are defining or, or determining how we relate to God. It needs to be the other way around. Because when we do it, when we're trying to, to force God into our own paradigms, when we're trying to uh, tell him how he should relate to us, We've got the whole creator-creature distinction upside down. What might that look like? What, do you, what are some examples of ways that we often try to, to define DTR, yeah. define the relationship that sure. we have with yeah. God uh, apart from what he has said? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, probably the most practical way, those sort of day-to-day ways, is just to watch how we pray. You know, when we pray, we, we, we oftentimes, and, and I'm guilty of this, we oftentimes conceptualize God as sort of this genie in a bottle. You know, if, if I pray that that's the rubbing of the lamp, then he'll come out and he'll grant me my three wishes today. And that's, that's not necessarily the, the impetus and direction of prayer. And so we, we want to say, okay, yeah, th- yes, God has established a relationship. He's made a way for us to draw near to the throne of grace, but just to back up to see how that was accomplished, to feel the weight of it, to understand what it took for us to even be able to pray before the Lord and to have Christ interceding on our behalf, even right now. Hmm. So just to let that set in before we walk into, walk before his throne and, and say, These, this is the way my life should be run. Yeah, I mean, prayer is a great example of that, where we just, it is so familiar. We are so used to, as Christians, just assuming that we have access to God in prayer, direct access to to God. And yet that is, that kind of nearness, that privilege of drawing near to him is not something that just happened. That's right. Yeah, it didn't just happen. And and the reality is, I, please don't hear me in saying, don't bring your needs to God. <laughs> that is exactly what he wants uh, he wants us to do, but bring your needs to God through the sort of the filter of who God is and who we are, understanding that covenant relationship, understanding what it took to accomplish mm-hmm. this relationship to take place, understood, understanding what his presence means. So, you know, to, to sort of, to, to give an example of that, you know, just re- rejoice in your spouse. I mean, if you're just sitting there telling them everything you want from them, you wake up in the morning and you just <laughs> give them a litany of, this is what I, I demand of you, without ever pulling back and saying, just rejoicing and being with them and, 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 and loving the fact that you're, uh, yeah, that, that they love you and, and you have this life with one another. Yeah, that, that's going to be something that all those needs, yes, those needs come out, but, but those needs are connected to a real relationship. Hmm. 
uh, and, and it gets that uh, going back to God here. It gets back to that creator-creature distinction. I, I'm, I'm here to worship you. It's not the other way around. And I think the presence of God theme holds that tension really, really well. It says God has drawn near um, and God has drawn near to change you uh, and, and for you to become uh, in this covenant, to, mm. for you to be uh, in his kingdom, sort of, I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about in, in, in the gospels. So, uh, so yes, yes, he's drawn near to you, mm. but it's, he's the gift, you mm. know? Mm. Yeah. So when you think about the way that we as a Christian culture think about the presence of God, I want you to finish this sentence in as many ways as you can. Okay. The presence of God is not blank. Okay. The, so the presence of God is not some mystical idea. Uh, so, so, you know, when, when, you, when you plug the term presence of God into your, your Google search bar, all kinds of crazy stuff come flooding at you. And oftentimes it's connected to sort of this mystical approach. Presence of God is, 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 is a term that many people try to fill in with their own ideas and their own concepts. And, and so what we want to say, or, or, or what I think God is wanting to say, is that it's, it, it's something that, that he gets to determine. Mm. Um, just, yeah. to, just to stop you right there, does that, what if someone's listening and feels like, well, that, that kind of limiting of this idea of the presence of God, that feels like that's invalidating my experience of, of feeling God drawing near to me, feeling uh, in certain maybe moments of worship or even in reading my Bible or in just being out in nature, I feel the presence of God. I feel God drawn near to me in a unique and powerful way. Um, yeah, what, what do you say to that? Yeah, I, I say that's, that's a great thing. And I, I, I would say that this is one of the sort of the great aspects of this biblical theme is that it weds these two concepts together of both the, the normative and the sense of th- this is this is God's speech to us this is he's the one who's defining these things but simultaneously there's there's an, an experiential reality to it too so I don't want to say I don't want to say that the experiential is invalid I just want to say that the experiential should be tied and tethered and coupled with what God has told us this really is. So, so we want to allow him to set the playing field for which we can actually enjoy his presence. Mm. So if, I mean, just to, to push that, that image a little bit more, I mean, if, if, you, if you say, okay, you know, I want you to go play a game of baseball, but the rules are completely up to you. You can, you know... And and you get to determine what what it actually looks like, and then and everybody's on the field doing well. Maybe there's not even a field. Uh, with everybody's doing their own thing, it just it's not going to be as enjoyable. Whereas if you go out, yeah, here's a here's a base, here's here's your bats, here's your baseballs, those kind of things. It's it's all set up for you. That's something that you can enjoy. That's something that you can you know how this is supposed to be going. Mm. And I think that's what we want to do. Now, so to boil that all down, and this is going back to your question, the presence of God is not, um, I would say, not outside of God's authority. And I think that's 
that's, that's where the rub often is. Hmm. Because as a culture, I mean, as, as sinners, like myself, uh, we struggle with being under anyone's authority, um, being submitted to. Um, and by definition, by our being creatures, we have, we're already under his authority. And redemption is a part of seeing the beauty and the glory of that structure and putting ourselves in that and allowing him to speak into my experience, allowing the Lord to say and to determine and to filter and to bring repentance to my experience, but also to bring more joy to my experience. So I actually think what that does, just like with the baseball, it gives you more freedom, the, the, the rules and, and, and the, the structure gives you more freedom to enjoy it. Hmm. I think it's the same thing with, a, um, with, with God's presence. Uh, it's like, this is who I am, that's really important when you walk into, okay, how am I going to experience God's presence? Yeah. Well, and I think what you said too early at the very beginning about the end goal of this biblical theme of presence. And when we, when we interpret, when we think about this concept through the lens of what the Bible actually says about uh, God's presence and about what he's ultimately working towards in all of this, that does help to give a deeper significance. It's, it's better than just some kind of vague sentimentality that we might gin up on our own that kind of feels good in the moment, but it lacks the substance and the depth that that scripture gives us when it comes to this topic. That's exactly right. And I would say that's the case for the presence of God, but that's the case for all of what's happening in God's redemptive works. Everything is better than we can imagine. Everything is done in ways that we would not have, and it's exactly what we need and exactly what brings us ultimate joy. Hmm. And going back to that idea, I found it extremely helpful to know that uh, I, I'm put, um, I'm put in, in my place, and that, that may sound weird, but I'm put in my place in, in, God's, in God's redemptive work. I, I can look back and I can see what he has accomplished, what he's accomplished through Christ, what, and I can look here and now and I can say God's presence is with us. It's indwelling us in the spirit and God's presence is using the church uh, to prepare us. It's not just a, and it doesn't just stop in, in the present moment. And I think, I think a lot of us tend to just sort of stay in that present moment or, or we're drawn to, to the past and we just dwell on either our guilt or, or, or shame or, um, or, or other things. And, and what this does is, is it says there's, there's a future to this too. And it's all connected. It's all connected. So what's happening in my church when I'm hearing the word of God preach, when uh, the Lord's Supper is taking place, when I'm interacting with that strange person <laughs> that I just don't connect with and they don't connect with me, I know that the Lord is using that in, in a in a beautifully awkward way to prepare me for what is to come. So there's a sanctification that's taking place so that I may enjoy that goal of God's presence. Mm. Yeah. So most conservative evangelicals would believe that the Bible teaches a doctrine of eternal punishment, uh, the doctrine of hell. Uh, And sometimes it seems like hell is described as a place devoid of the presence of God, 
that is almost uh, at times in the way we talk about it, it is that's like the defining characteristic is it's a place where God is not. What do you think about that? Is that a how does that fit with what the Bible teaches about God's precedence? Yeah, I, I think there's there's an aspect of that. I would say that that is I would I would put in the categories of there's no there's not a relational presence because I I do think or or or, or a redemptive presence that, mm. that we're experiencing that that sort of that covenant reality that is what all of sort of scripture's hopes are are, are building towards and and are, and are accomplishing even right here right now. I do think that's absent, but I do think that there's an element of God's presence and the sense of bringing wrath and pouring out mm. pouring out punishment. Those who are under the curse are experiencing God in his full holiness, mm. his full just justice. So so there is still an experience. There's still an experience of his presence, but it's not through redemptive and relational categories. It's through categories of, of punishment. Yeah, yeah. So in your opinion, what is the most misunderstood Bible passage related to the presence of God? So Isaiah 57, 15 holds together God's other thanness, his mm. transcendence, and, and also connects it to his eminence. But many times we sort of parse those out, whichever one we sort of lean towards, what mm. one we like to emphasize. So, so this is, this is uh, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place. So there you see that other than this, that distinction. I mean, what does it mean to be inhabiting eternity? <laughs> that, that sort of concept should be, it's, it's there to sort of break our minds. Yeah, that's the goal of it. Yeah, that's the goal of it. And, and so, and that's a gloriously beautiful text telling us about this, this distinct God, this one who is, who is other than. But it keeps going on. And, and that's, that's what I would say is just keep reading. And, and that's, that's a huge, uh, oftentimes it's hard to do, but it, it's, a, it's a huge move. So it continues to go on and say, says, and also, so I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Hmm. So, so it's, you see here in the prophets, this declaration of who the Lord is. He is other than, and he is the one who draws near. And he draws near to who? To, to the lowly, those who are broken, to the contrite. And that's a huge and wonderful hope. So, so when, I, when I see these, I, I want to help people bring these together because what it does is it says the, the way we feel and the hurt we have and the brokenness and the sin that's piled up in our lives and around us from others, there's actually an answer. There's actually an answer from one who is outside of all this, who can actually do something about it. And not only does he do something about it, but he enters into this story to do just that, to accomplish it, to deal directly with what keeps us from our only hope. And how does he do that? Well, the hope draws near. He comes to us to accomplish these things. And that's, that's, that's oftentimes missed. 
but it's at the very heart of the gospel and it's the very heart of our Christian lives. Ryan, thank you so much for for joining us on the CrossFit Podcast and yeah, sharing from your own study, your own, uh, the way that God has used his word to change your understanding of his presence. And uh, we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been, a, it's been a blast. That was Ryan Lister on what it means that God is with us. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, The Presence of God, its place in the storyline of scripture and the story of our lives. Available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.